All right, as everybody's coming in, go ahead and welcome back. We're going to jump right into the next session, which follows from that other one that we just did. And this one is Forming a Faith That Lasts Past College. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you four different things based on research that are good predictors of whether or not a student stays in the faith past college. So that's what I'm going to give you um, in just a few minutes. So just to give you the overview is this is there are four different factors that help students stay in the faith past college. Now, here's the thing. We all know and believe that it's ultimately God that keeps people, right? <laughs> but we also know and believe that God, by his grace, uses human means like you and me to be part of him keeping people in the faith. And so that's what I want us to look at. Now, I want to show you a picture to begin with of something that happened a few months ago in my yard, literally uh, in my yard. So we had gotten home from church on a Sunday morning. We had just been standing in the front yard a few minutes before this. We walked inside and suddenly heard a massive bang followed by a very loud whoosh sound, okay? What had happened is somebody had, uh, had some sort of a seizure in their car. They had lost control, but their foot went down on the accelerator. They went through our yard, across our driveway, just a few feet from our porch, and then slammed into the house down from ours. And the car hit the house so hard that it actually knocked the house partway off its foundation. It was hit so hard that it hit, knocked, the car, knocked the house partway off of its foundation. And the whoosh we heard was it also took out a natural gas pie on the way. So gas is spewing upward. Uh, the, the car is sitting there right against the ho this, this house. And, but it had moved the foundation, the house off of its foundation. Now here's what I want us to think about. What would it take to move your students that are going to college off their foundation? <laughs> like you would not think a car could move a house off of its foundation. It moved to almost six inches. Like it, it actually broke one section of the house where it like pushed it almost six inches off the, the, the foundation under it uh, in the way it was put, together, put in there. What on earth could happen that would knock something off? It's sometimes it takes less than you think to knock somebody off their foundation. I wouldn't have thought that car could actually move a house, but it can. And sometimes there are things that happen in college that move your students off the foundation of their faith in ways you would have never expected. And what I want to help you do is to build a handful of things into what you and your church do to be able to keep students on the one true foundation of Jesus. First, I want to give you some statistics, though. These are in some ways disheartening statistics. It's what percentage of students self-identify as Christians when they enter college, but by the time they end college and when they're seniors, they have walked away from even calling themselves Christians. I'll give you the numbers on that. 29% of students who, when they start college, say, I am a Christian, when they end college, say, I am not. So almost one out of every three. Of those who go to private institutions, it's still a significant number of about 14% of students say that. Now, I know those are, those are less than half, but these are students who actually said, I am a Christian when they started college. When they end college, they say, I am not a Christian. They have disowned the faith during the years that they are in 
college. That's a challenge for us. And so part of the research I did several years ago and I worked with some doctoral students to do is to say what are the factors that kept people in the faith? What are the human factors that kept people from walking away from the faith? And we found four characteristics of students and children whose faith lasted through college. And I want to share those with you in the next few minutes. Here's the first one. Multi-generational relationships. These are not things you would think would have, but these are the things that came to the top. Multi-generational relationships. The number one predictor of whether a student stayed in the faith through college was whether they had multi-generational relationships with people in their church. In other words, the people they knew in their church outside their family weren't just their friends, but were older people than themselves. That was one of the most significant things. And, and as you looked at this, nearly 80% of religiously involved young people enjoy conversing with adults in their faith community. And yet 40% have no adult that they said that they could turn to in times of distress. And 61% said, we wish we had such a relationship. So here's what we're seeing right here. One of the most significant predictors of whether a student stays in the faith is, do I have multi-generational relationships? And yet many students don't have an adult in their church to whom they can turn, particularly among older adults. I just want to say that as an encouragement to you. If you are middle-aged and older, you are one of the strongest defenses this church has for keeping students in the faith. Building relationships with the people in the youth group, the students in the youth group. I really mean that. When we, this, this is the thing that came to the top. When we're doing research, this is not what we expected to come to the top. This comes to the top of the research of saying, I wish I had relationships. The students who stayed had relationships with middle-aged and older adults. They had relationships like that. And as we think about this and look at ourselves and look at our churches, the future is gray and that's good. I want you to value the people around you who are in that middle age and, and senior adult in those stages of life, they are some of the most important people for the future of the church. Often we think the teenagers are the future of the church, and there's a sense in which that's true, but probably they're going to be the future of somebody else's church. And that's not a bad thing. They're going to end up going somewhere else. But for the future and stability of your church, Middle-aged and older adults are really, really important. But between now and 2060, the senior adult population in the United States were more than double. That's just because of people living longer. It's going to more than double. And the next generation, the rising generation, those who are in their 50s, 60s, and 60s, early 70s right now, are what's often called by sociologists a silver lining generation, that they are more willing than any previous generation of senior adults to give, have relationships with younger people. This is a beautiful thing. This is a good thing. When I was in student ministry, we used to think that the way to have a great, thriving student ministry is to get somebody who is more hip. Now, it's you need somebody who just got a new hip. Okay, that's what you need. And that, that this is what we really need for the strength of the future generation. And so I want to encourage you, build and foster and cultivate those relationships. Because those relationships are what helps people stay in the faith. Also, 
if you are a middle-aged, older adult, if you're in that range right there from where I'm at, older, okay? From where I'm at, older. If you're in that range right there, one of the things you can do is you can be a family in faith to students whose parents don't come to church. That's, again, one of the strongest factors in helping people. Who is it who comes to this church that their parents don't? Build a relationship with them. These are things that help people stay in the faith. So multi-generational relationships. The second factor was purposeful faith. And what I mean by a purposeful faith is they saw their faith not as something to make my life easier, but my faith is to do something for others. My faith is in something beyond me in terms of its purpose and its benefits. In other words, the the students who step away from their faith, you see that right here, that they say, my faith makes, makes me happier, makes me feel good, makes me feel better about myself. If those are the ways that people are thinking about their faith, is that the purpose of my faith is to make me happier, make me do better, make me feel better, they are going to leave that faith behind in college. Because here's what they're going to find. There are other things besides God that make me feel better and do better, at least in the, in the short term. And so they're going to walk away from the faith. The students that have that type of an attitude. And so am I saying that God doesn't help you do better? God does help us do better. There are times in our life God may make you feel better. There are times in your life God may make you feel worse, Okay. But that's not the purpose of your faith. The purpose of your faith is to be in the truth of Jesus Christ who gives us the only true life. (laughs) Your faith is not about you feeling better. It's about being something that is true that will call us to the real life that God has in Christ. And so one of the things is students who hold on to their faith have a purposeful faith. They have a purpose for their faith outside of themselves. And one of the ways that we need to think about this is moralism kills. And what I mean by this is if you see and you present the faith only as being something about helping you to do better or feel better, then that is something that is deadly to people holding on to their faith. See, many churches for many years had this idea that the way to get a lot of people in is to, have, is to present Jesus as somebody that makes your life better, that gives you life principles, these moralistic ideas, feel better, do better. The truth is that the people who grabbed onto that, those people don't hold on to their faith. Why? Because ultimately, it's about me. It's about myself. That type kills. And the other thing that I will say that we learned in this is how much membership matters. What I mean by that is that to, to be able to draw a clear distinction between who is a believer in Jesus and who isn't. You know, one of the most beautiful things I see and one of the best witnesses I see in our church at times in terms of this is parents who say to their kids no when they're doing Lord's Supper. Because that child has, is not yet a baptized believer. That's a beautiful thing. You know why it's a beautiful thing? Because it's saying to that child, there is something you have not done that God is calling you to do. Therefore, you're excluded from this. Well, we live in a world that doesn't want to exclude anybody from anything. I remember going into a church and serving as a student minister. And they would take non-believing kids, non-Christian, total pagan kids. And they would put them to, together to go evangelize. Because they didn't want to exclude anybody from anything. It's crazy. And, and, and the, the result of that is just was a weak, insipid faith in that entire youth group. It diminished everyone. 
And they wanted to involve everything. So we need to be able to say, you're a Christian. You're not. <laughs> and we live in a world in which that is a radical statement. Just to say to somebody, you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. Or there's something you still need to do in terms of your engagement with the church. That is, a, don't be afraid of that. Don't be terrified of saying that Jesus has called us to trust in him and to follow him in baptism, and therefore you need to do that. Don't be afraid of doing that. That's one of the interesting things in this is that the students who understood that were more likely to hold on to their faith. The students who understood there's an inside and an outside to what I'm doing in my life. There's those who are in the faith and outside the faith. Those are the students who actually hold on to their faith. Students who come from a, a background where it's just like, eh, we're just going to mush it all together. They walk away <laughs> from their faith. They don't hold on to their faith. And what I meant, I should have defined this earlier by moralism, is simply proclaiming any way of life that can be accomplished apart from the gospel of Jesus and the power of his spirit. That's what I'm talking about. Where it's just about do this for Jesus and you'll feel better. God will make your life better if you do this. No, God sometimes makes your life worse. But follow Jesus and trust him and chase after him because that's the only place there is real life. That's the, that's the message we want for people. And so the second one of these is purposeful faith. They had a faith that was a purpose. They recognized that I have a faith that sets me apart and has a purpose and it's not just about me. The third thing was a plan for maintaining their faith. Here's what's fascinating. Students, even those who walk away from their faith in college, never intended to. They didn't go to college outside of about 2%, uh, or 7% of them rather, 7% of them basically said, yeah, I left home and I was intending to drop out of church and, and to step away, okay? About 7%. About 2% were uncertain. But 91% at some level said, I am planning to maintain the same faith in my life in the future as I have right now. They weren't intending or planning to walk away from their faith. 77% said, when I grow up, I'm going to be attending the same type of congregation as my parents. 14% said they still will, but in just some other congregation. They aren't intending to walk away from their faith. But here's the problem. They also aren't planning to keep their faith. And that's the real problem. So I want to encourage you, especially if you have teenagers, make sure you have talked about these questions. If you're in student ministry, think about ways that you can talk about these questions with your students. What challenges to my faith am I going to face in college or early career? How will I respond? What form will temptations take and how will I respond? What are the college ministries where I'm headed? They're going away to college. Who oversees these ministries? What churches are in the place where I'm headed? Who is the college minister? How will I get to church? That last question, you would be amazed at how many students they're, they're kind of walking away from faith starting because they just didn't have a ride to church. That started there. Just something simple. Make a plan. Help them to make a plan for keeping their faith. So here's what I would just encourage you to do. Think about where the students go to college that are in this area. Where do they go? Help connect them with student ministries there before they have to go there. Maybe even invite them to come here and to say, hey, talk to them about, talk to them about how they can get to church 
once they're there. I realize that is mundane, but I will tell you that's one of the factors that helps students stay in their faith all the way through college is those simple details like that of actually having a plan for how I'm going to live as a Christian once I get to where I go to college. It's one of the number one things that we find is important. And the last one of these is early engagement with hard questions. Sometimes we are afraid to ask or to bring up the hard questions about the Christian faith because we are afraid. What if we plant doubts in their mind? Well, let me tell you something. The doubts are going to get planted either way. What you want to do is to help them know that there's an answer. And when you raise those questions in youth group or in children's ministry, when you raise those questions and answer those questions, here's something, this may sound discouraging, but it isn't intended to be. They're going to forget exactly how you answered the question. They're probably going to forget that. Here's what they'll remember. They'll remember that there is an answer. They'll remember that there's an answer. They'll remember that this issue, I've heard about it before. And I can go to my student minister, I can go to somebody in my church, I can go to my parents, and I can say, I don't remember the answer to this question, but could you tell me the answer to this question? Could you tell it to me? Make sure that the hard questions get asked while they're still here. Questions get asked. Questions about gender and about all the goodness of that and about the problems with all of the world's ideologies on that. In fact, we actually did a survey trying to find out what were the questions they couldn't answer. Here's the ones that they couldn't answer. Number one question actually surprised me a little bit. It's how a good God can allow evil. Number one question, all just completely uh, across the board, that was the number one question. We know what that means? You need to be dealing with that question in student ministry. Second one of these, the very existence of God. Is there evidence for the existence of God? Last one, or I'm sorry, the next one, truthfulness of the Bible. Um, in, in some institutions, some institutions, it was more the view of homosexuality and gender, all of that. Resurrection, truthfulness of Bible, evidence for faith, going all the way down, you see them right there. Well, that gives you a list right there. Those are the questions the students got to college and said, nobody equipped me to answer these questions. Those are the questions. This is done for thousands of students across the United States in a variety of different institutions, and that's what was discovered, is that these are the questions. They said, nobody prepared me to answer that. Ask the hard questions before they ever go to college. The last thing I'll put up here is Star Wars, because I work that in somewhere everywhere. But the power of Star Wars, this is somewhat true of the Marvel Universe, has been... The, the power of this is that it is a story that connects the generations together. <laughs> there was the Star Wars that I watched as a five-year-old in a drive-in theater in Aurora, Missouri in 1977-78. I watched that Star Wars, and it was mind-boggling. It was amazing. But then there's another Star Wars that came about in my oldest daughter's generation, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then there's another one that's now, you see, what has happening? You've got a story that ties together generations. In a similar way, you see it in, in Marvel. You see that there's the comic books, okay, that some of you read in the 70s and 80s. And then there's the movies. You see all of this. And my point in this is that the stories that capture people's imaginations most 
are ones that are bigger than themselves and tie generations together. Well, here's the thing. In Christian faith, we have the ultimate story. We have the ultimate story that ties generations together, not just one, this generation to one or two before, but all the way back through the ages. We have a better story. And ultimately, when somebody, will talk about this more in the sermon, when somebody walks away from the faith, they're saying that the world is telling me a better story than the Christian faith did. Now, that's always a lie, but that's what they're saying in essence. The story that the world's telling is better. And the answer to that is to show that this story is best. This story that we rehearse week by week by week as the people of God, it is the best story of all. That's ultimately, and all these things I've said, it's you're helping them to understand that the best story, the one that makes the most sense of the world, is the story of God in Christ. That's the best story. And that's the story that makes the most sense of the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for one of the teaching pastors at Sojourn Church Midtown and enjoy doing that. I've been at the Southern Seminary and at Sojourn for about 15 years now. And uh, thank you for your hospitality, for having us here, for all that you've uh, provided for us. I thank you for that. And it's good to be with you this day. Well, there's a truth that I want you to see, I want you to get. Is this going to frame everything else we do? And it's simply this. It is difficult to flourish in a place where you don't fit. It is difficult to flourish in a place where you don't fit. I, I learned this several years ago at what's called the St. Louis City Museum. Has anybody ever been to the St. Louis City Museum in St. Louis, Missouri? You ought to take your kids there, your grandkids there. It's a great place to be. We've got a picture of it, I believe, that we can put up on the screen here, the St. Louis City Museum. It is basically a 12-story building that they have turned into a massive jungle gym. It really has nothing to do with being a museum. It has to do with the fact that you can go floor to floor through slides, through tunnels. There are no elevators or steps that you have to take. You slide, you tunnel, you swing from floor to floor to floor for 12 stories in this particular building. And so I took my kids there several years ago, and I am one of those people who I am going to try everything, every ride that there is or anything like that. So any roller coasters or any adventures like this, I'm going to be in there trying it. So I'm in there trying this. I'm in there playing and doing all the stuff, climbing through all of this. And as you can see on the outside of this, there's a lot of stuff out there, including a couple of airplanes. There's a, a school bus, all sorts of things that are just all in this outdoors part. And so I'm in this, this particular particular arch-shaped sort of tunnel up there that you can see. And there's this, this metal ribbed tube and climbing through this metal ribbed tube and going up to got to the top of it. And as you get closer and closer to the apex of that, it gets narrower and narrower and smaller and smaller. And so as we're going through this with a lot of children before and behind, going through this and all the people in front of me, including my own children, they get to that top and it gets really small and they pull their legs through and kind of put their feet forward and slide, kind of shimmy down that way, slide down, put their feet forward. So I'm going to do this. 
And I get to that top, and I start to put my legs through, and my, my legs don't go through there. <laughs> and then I can't get my feet in front of me, and I'm trying, and there's all these little kids behind me going, why is that man up there? Stop. Like, Be quiet. And so I'm at the top trying to get my legs through there, and it's just not happening. And something occurs to me at 50 feet above the ground that probably should have occurred to me on the ground, and that is that maybe this place wasn't made for me. <laughs> maybe this was made for people who were more like 5 and 15 rather than 50. Maybe this is not a place that is made for me. It's difficult to flourish in a place where you don't fit. It was difficult for me to flourish and enjoy in this moment because I didn't fit in the place where I was. Now, here's the truth I want you to get from that. You are going to increasingly find that your faith doesn't fit in the world around you. You're going to find that increasingly because as sexual ethics change, as, as merely the claim of, of faith in Jesus Christ being the only way to be made right with God, those claims that we have made as Christians for centuries are suddenly becoming claims that people, it's not just that they don't like it, they view it as harmful. They view your perspective from Scripture on the nature of human sexuality and sexual ethics and on salvation through Jesus. People view that not merely as an annoyance, but something that they see as harmful to the social order. You are in a place where your faith increasingly will not fit, where you're feeling the pinch of trying to be in a place where you don't fit and it is difficult to flourish in a place where you don't fit and so here's what i want to talk about today how do we flourish how do we keep our faith in a culture where our faith doesn't fit now here's the encouraging and the beautiful thing the wonderful thing we are not the first generation of people to face this question you see, Christians have in different times and places, Christians have faced this question over and over and over. They faced it in the first century, in the time of Jesus. But not only that, believers in God faced this even before that three and a half thousand years ago. Moses leading the Israelites, they were going into a land at one point in which they were going into a place where their faith in their God didn't fit. And so I want us to look at this at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's stand together in reading in the reading for the reading of God's holy word. Deuteronomy 6.1. This is the command. The statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this, so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Listen or hear, O Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and with honey. Oh, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be like a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns you didn't dig, vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant, When you eat and you are satisfied, be careful, be careful not to forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Let's pray.